This is Cost Talk with Evan Costman, and you are listening to Episode 8. This week on the podcast, we have... Jason McAllis, I'm the co-founder of uh, Toronto Prep School. And my former principal. So we were having a discussion before about ventures, and would you like to take it away? Well, we were talking about just starting up a new venture, and after uh, 25 years in private education, uh, and my wife was in it for 20 years, we decided to venture off and uh, start our own school, uh, obviously in the bowels of the recession, 2009. Uh, and uh, now we've been in operation for uh, eight years and sort of knock wood as he hits his head. It, it's uh, it's going uh, really, really well. How crazy was it that you made that decision to go in during the recession? Well, well I mean, one thing that I was told by a number of people, it, it's never the, the wrong time to do the right thing. And we felt that uh, starting our own school was the right thing to do. So irrespective of timing, it's something that we felt that uh, we'd venture out uh, Neither uh, my wife Fooley or I are individuals that were going to start a school with, you know, four kids in a in a church basement. It was either sort of uh, go big or go home. Uh, you know, the old adage of if you want to pee with the big dogs, you have to get off the porch. So we, we went into it full bore. And uh, as I see, you know, knock wood, as I, as I hit my head, uh, it, it's been uh, quite successful. Uh, we're in our eighth year now, and uh, we want to continue going strong and uh, offering the services that we do. You didn't want this to be like a business. You want to be like a school. Talk about how, as an administrator, you're sort of caught between those two lines. The, the nice thing about it is we have two people as co-founders, myself and my wife. And, and Fooley tends to be the more uh, mercantile one in terms of sort of the, the, the business acumen. And, and I'm more the education part. And, um, you know, lear- learning the business aspect of it. Uh, but it, it really comes down to, uh, you know, we selected a product where um, you can get it for free mm. and uh, and we're charging for it. Uh, it's very it's very much like bottled water. So the <laughs> idea is you can turn on your tap and, and and you know get free water. So what would make you buy bottled water and pay for it? It's the same thing with education. Uh, why would someone who's getting a service for free through you know in city of Toronto the TDSB, why would they decide that they are now going to pay for education? Uh, so the way I look at it is whatever we offer, how we offer it can't be just as good as the public system. It has to be better. So, mm. I mean, I, I looked at, you know, what would sort of differentiate us from, you know, the, the public system or even other private schools. It came down to, uh, I felt, uh, classroom size is probably one of the top determinants for, uh, success of students. Not number one. Number one is who's ever at the front of the classroom. Your teachers are, you know, by far the, the number one consideration mm-hmm. for success for a student. Uh, but classroom size is, is up there, as I said, top three. And we felt that uh, we should never have more than 16 students in one class. At that point in time, if you have the right people in the class, they could look into each kid's eyes and say, yep, you've got it, you've got it, mm, you don't, mm, you don't, you do. <laughs> and, and then decide, you know what, without singling anyone out, let, let's do another example. Mm-hmm. So that became very, very important for us, sort of the classroom size, uh, the ability to find uh, passionate individuals that, that loved education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the public system has tons of great teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also have tons of teachers that aren't that great. Uh, I went to Jarvis Collegiate. I thought it was a great school. Uh, when I was there, I think it had 115 teachers. Uh, and there were about 30 excellent teachers. Mm-hmm. But then the rest weren't that great. Uh, and what we 
try to do is make certain that all our teachers are great. Uh, and then that way you are offering uh, a product that is in, in need. I mean, uh, the most precious commodity, if we can call kids a commodity, mm-hmm. most precious commodity uh, parents have is their children. Mm. So if uh, you, you want to invest whatever you can in their future, uh, and, uh, you know, private school education is, is one of those investments uh, that I deem to be quite important mm. uh, for for the future of individuals. So, th- so that that's a business we started out on. Uh, so you're talking about what you look for in teachers. Could you go further into that? Uh, it, it really comes down to personality, uh, but above more than anything else is passion. You want to be able to make a difference in the classroom. Uh Teaching, if you want to do it properly, is probably one of the hardest professions in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to half-ass it, it's a cushy job. I mean, you've seen all the movies where, you know, Bueller, Bueller, you know, yeah. the guy sitting there with the newspaper. Um, and, and if you want to half-ass it as a teacher, uh, and regretfully there are too many people that do that in, in the profession, it, it's a cushy profession. Uh, now, the thing is that we give our teachers... Uh, you know, one or two years to see, you know, where they, they are. Uh, and we go from there. Um, as we were talking before, I had said that I take every individual working and, and, and teachers more so. I place them in one of three categories. Yeah. Uh, category one is the teacher that uh, fulfills all their job requirements and goes above and beyond that. It, it's almost the, the, you know, the Ritz Hotel approach of, uh, oh, where's the bathroom? Well, they'll take you to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. They won't just sort of point down the hall. So it's that's what I mean by going above and beyond. You know, if a kid is having difficulty getting it, teaching it to him in a different way, having him or her come in after school mm-hmm. and, you know, putting in the helping them put in the grunt work to do it, mm-hmm. holding kids accountable. Uh, it's a much greater effort, but that's what works. So that's category one. Category two individuals are individuals that are doing their job uh, and hopefully are aspiring to get to category one, and then uh, category three are the ones that aren't even fulfilling their job requirements. Um, if you're in category three, you might last a semester here. If you're in category two, then the idea is, are you showing signs of wanting to aspire to get into category one? And if you are, then you're going to be given time to hone your skill sets and do that. Uh, at the same time, you might be a category three teacher for three, four years, and then all of a sudden you become complacent and you're starting to slide down into category two, possibly category three. Well, then again, we, you know, you know, we revisit, uh, you being here, mm-hmm. uh, because frontline workers, which are the teachers, as I said, are by far the most important entity in successfully educating and, uh, making certain that your students have the proper skill sets to basically move forward. You know, um, I mean, our job isn't just to get you in the university. You go to a variety of private schools and give them a check and they give you your marks. And then you get to university and you write your first calculus test and you get 8%. Uh, that, that's not <laughs> yeah. what it's about. It, it really is about skill sets and making certain that you have that ability if you choose to go forward and, you know, if you're going to go to first year university and part of your brain's out and not use your skill sets, okay, well, that's on you. But from our end, it really is helping you acquire those skill sets, whether it's thinking, whether it's how do you make notes, how do you write an essay, how do you present your findings. Those are skill sets that you're going to use no matter what vocation you're in. And, and hopefully, really, through modeling 
seeing the, the, the type of effort that your teachers put forth mm-hmm. uh, and mirroring something like that. We were talking before about uh, some of the perks that come with uh, joining clubs. We're very fortunate that, that given you know uh, our, our clientele here, there there are many people in the financial uh, industry. I mean, one one such example uh, a few years ago, our investors club, which has students from grade seven all the way to grade twelve, we were very fortunate to visit the head offices of Glushkin and Chef, which is a, a, a boutique investment firm, has about eight billion dollars in uh, in investment. Uh, and uh, we were able to, to, to go down there and, and meet with uh, the chief economist. Uh, I think it was David, David Rosenberg. Uh, we were able to meet with their CEO. We were able to meet with vice presidents. Uh, we were there for almost three hours. And, uh, you know, talking to these individuals at, you know, between half hour and 45 minutes each was enlightening for students. You know, their, their ability to say to them, uh, it, it's your passion that's going to fuel your success. It's not your love of money, but rather is are, are you passionate about, you know, seeing the way money works? Are, are you passionate about, you know, clients? Are you passionate about making a difference in, in people's lives? Uh, and that was very, very important. And in fact, it, it, it was funny that, you know, the elevator went straight up to, you know, the 50th floor from ground level at BCE place. And the, the neat thing about it, though, was that uh, after one of their junior executives, you know, said to us, uh, oh, by the way, that was uh, more than the $20 million club. And I said, well, you know, what do you mean? He says, well, if you invest $20 million, you, you get to meet some of these people for about 20 minutes to half an hour. You guys had almost three hours. Great for grade sevens to be able to go, wow. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it's these types of opportunities that are great. I mean, uh, we were able, for example, to take our sports and entertainment uh, marketing class, which we we started teaching here now for four years. Um, through my through my son and myself, we know the owners of uh, the Niagara Ice Docks. So we were able, for example, to take uh, both uh, the sports and entertainment classes to do a day in the Niagara Ice Docks. So you know, we went there, we met with the owners. You know, the Burks and they were, uh, the wife actually won executive of the year about three or four years ago for, uh, uh, Canadian junior hockey. You know, just talking about them, seeing what they do on a day to day, uh, talking to their coaches, talking to their players, visiting their facilities, looking at from the morning of the game all the way to the game, the kids sat and, and watched mm-hmm. the game. But, you know, how is security set up? How are concessions? You know, what type of different jobs, ticket sales? Uh, and, and those are, are great opportunities that are afforded to us in a, in a, in a private school where you may not always get that chance, um, in, in some other schools to be able to, to do things like that. So th- those are some of the, 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 the perks almost <laughs> of, of being engaged in, in clubs, for example, or taking certain courses, which sort of go beyond the classroom. You're sort of at capacity right now. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the troubles of being in an office building. Well, it's it's not necessarily troubles. Mm-hmm. I mean, we obviously we want our own place, and we mm-hmm. purchased it. But uh, City of uh, Toronto Planning Department and I aren't seeing eye to eye in a variety of things. But it really comes down to we do not see this school going beyond three hundred and fifty, four hundred students max yeah. altogether. All and and the, the the whole idea is you would lose who we are. The ability. I mean, my office is up here on the fifth floor. You know, the elevators open up into it. So I'm seeing everyone going in, going out. You know, someone, 
you know, comes by, I can say to them, yeah, so congratulations on that test or, you know, mm. what happened on that essay? And the ability of, of keeping, you know, those 16 in the class, uh, the ability of almost every teacher knowing every student, the, the concept of, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child truly is something that we do hold dear uh, because it allows for that accountability. In, in New York, I, I, I was talking to some people there where what they've done is they'll take a school that was uh, 2,000 students and they'll actually break it up into four schools. Oh, wow. So they'll create four mini schools of 500 students each. They'll share the common facilities such as gymnasiums, auditoriums, cafeterias, but they create a culture of 500 students, 500 students, which creates a, a, a different mindset, a, a, a you know, a more caring mindset. Uh, right now, one of the, the things that I'm most proud of in this school um, is I would say between 50 and 75% of our students never lock their lockers. So the thing is that they've got, you know, each one's got an, uh, a MacBook Pro. There are wallets, there are purses, there are a variety of things just left in lockers. And Knockwood again, they, they don't go missing. That's the kind of culture you want to continue to foster. And I think if you start expanding, then all of a sudden you lose that aspect. So from a, from a business standpoint and from an education standpoint, I do not see us going beyond 400 students. Uh, now that sort of creates almost a, a boutique-ish type school, but so be it. Mm -hmm. uh, because we find that is what works best. Uh, when I was at the former school I was at, uh, we had gotten to about 515 students uh, the double cohort year 2004, mm -hmm. and we had gotten too big. Not all the teachers knew all the kids, and that created, um, you know, kids falling through the cracks, you know, the accountability factor not being what it should have been. So you, you'll learn from, you know, things like that to say, wait a sec, you know, there has to, there should be a, a limit. So that, that's one of the sort of the, the business fundamentals that I've learned. Expanding just for the sake of expanding becomes a, a cash grab. And that's not what this school's about. So. You even had some opportunities where people were looking to invest and that would have ruined the business model. Very much so. I mean, we were very fortunate. There were there were three different groups when they found out that Fuli and I wanted to start a school. They approached us uh, and said, hey, we, you know, we want in. And, uh, you know, we we're very honored. We, we thanked them, but uh, we wanted to go, uh, you know, alone only because if you have investors, if you have a board, uh, conflicts can occur. And also what it does, it, it sort of takes away some of your independence with respect to making decisions. Uh, we had, you know, we had talked our first year, we had 81 students, uh, and we had turned 20 students away. In, in fact, in, in March of 2009, when this was, you know, kind of getting off the ground and we were doing interviews of people's houses, uh, we had three people that were kind of thinking of coming. We weren't really certain. And this was during March break. We had rented space. We were, you know, signed a lease the whole bit. And mm -hmm. uh, the next two people we interviewed, uh, we said no to. Wow. Uh, and, you know, we and again, we ended up saying no to about 20 students that year. Now, uh, tuition back then was around $17,000. So an investor would go, are, are you crazy? You just turned away. You know, three hundred and forty thousand dollars. Are you know, that's a bad business move. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't think so. In in fact, we thought it was a good business move because they weren't the right fit for us. And private education is about fit. Mm -hmm. uh, if we can't help you, 
or you know what, you're, you, you don't want to be helped, then you know what, it's not going to work for you here. And um, then it's not going to be successful. So by getting the, the right type of student uh, that wants to excel, that wants to put in an effort, that wants to sort of exceed wherever they are at, at the moment in terms of academics, that's what we're looking for. As I said, we've said no to individuals that, that don't fit the way we do things. Either we may not be a good fit for them, or they may not be a good fit for us, but you know, whichever way it works out, um, that, that's, that's very important to us. And when you have a board, sometimes it's like just, just get in as many people as you can. And again, I've seen that not work well for the longevity of the business and for, more importantly, the, the education portion of this business venture. Mm. Well, I'm thankful I was not turned away. No, you no, you weren't. And, and, and hopefully you gained from the experience. I did. So you started with 81 kids. Mm-hmm. I graduated with 93 kids in migraine alone or approximately. I think there were probably 80, 83 the year that you graduated. Okay. Yes. What was that like having that unexpected growth? You know what? Again, if, if you're if you're hopefully doing it the right way and you're making, you're, you're selecting a good fit of students, then they will achieve, uh, they will succeed, they will go off and they will exceed at the next level and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, most private schools are, are word of mouth. So hopefully, you know, we're, we're doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's showing the results that our students have. And uh, hopefully others are seeing that. You know, the, the, the greatest compliment to me is that currently we have about 10 to 15 students uh, who are kids of kids I taught. Uh, and that's great because uh, if you're basically entrusting us with your kids after you've sort of had the rigors of us as teachers, mm-hmm. it must say, well, you know what, we probably did a pretty good job and you're more than comfortable in, in placing, you know, your kids with us and entrusting us to, again, your, your most valuable, you know, precious commodity. That, that's great. Mm, No, that's awesome to see. Let's take a quick break from the interview with Steve to remind you to please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode, and ratings really help the visibility of the podcast. If you wanted to give the Cost Talk Facebook page a like, it'd mean a lot. Thanks, and now let's dive right into some business knowledge that made Steve my favorite teacher, and hopefully you learned something. When my son was playing hockey in, uh, in Ottawa... They were a very, very successful franchise. In fact, they were the most successful junior team in Canada. They were averaging uh, around 10,250 fans a game. Um, the, the owner, who uh, still is the owner, uh, was a man named Jeff Hunt, who is now the current owner of the Ottawa Red Blacks of the CFL. He is a very smart businessman. I remember we had gone out to dinner after one of the games, sort of the parents and the coaching staff and and the ownership group, just talking business. And one of the parents congratulated Jeff on, you know, how successful he was in having 10,250 fans on average. And, uh, you know, he said, thank you, but I don't see it that way. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I actually don't see it as, wow, 10,250 fans. I see it as having 250 empty seats. And I went, wow, here's a very successful business person who is aspiring to improve. Even though he's basically at the pinnacle of junior hockey, he knows that there's room for improvement, and that's what he's basically looking at. And I said, that's incredible. The ability to sweat the little things, the ability to to say there's room for improvement. And I took that, and I've always felt there's room for improvement. No matter how well you do things, there's always ways that you can tweak it 
that it could be better, it could be more efficient, it could be more effective. Um, so things like that came came into into play. Um, another a piece of advice that was given to me when we were starting out the school, and it's almost for any new business. You know, there there are going to be all sorts of people that want to help you. Let them. Don't let them take over, but actually listen to them. You know, take into account what they say. Uh, a helping hand is is a helping hand, and they're doing it, you know, because they probably believe in your venture. They've experienced things that you can learn from. We're talking, um, I think smart people learn from their mistakes. Brilliant people learn from their mistakes and other people's mistakes. You don't have enough time to make every mistake. (laughs) Uh, It'd be great if you did, but you don't. So if you can learn from other people's and avoid the pitfalls in your business, Mm -hmm. uh, then that's going to help you, you know, go forward. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that, and I say this to our teachers and to our students, and and it's something that I've always said this to you know to my kids, and and I've lived by it. Uh, no matter what you do, uh, outside of just being passionate, uh, and that doesn't mean you know find your passion. It means whatever you do, all in. You know, work your butt off, and and it really comes down to the major tenet that I t- try to live by, which is uh, for the, for the most part your work ethic should always exceed your talent and your intellect. Uh, and, and that's something, the only thing we as human beings can truly control um, is, our, is our level of effort. That's it. You can't control results. You can't control your innate abilities. You, you know, you can't control this or that. Uh, but you can control the level of effort you put forth. And, um, you know, if, and if you work your butt off, and you max out at a 60 or you work your butt off and you max out at an 80 or you work your butt off and you max out at a 95, all three of those individuals should be equally commended because they work their butt off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that sometimes when you have talent, and I've seen it in sports, uh, I've also seen it in school where you have innate you know, academic ability and you coast. If you can come to sort of a marriage of work ethic and your talent and intellect, and have those sort of come down together, then you know what? It's going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will be able to reach whatever potential you actually have, and, and that's what you want to be able to do. So that, that's what it really comes down to. You, you had a great saying. It was the difference between the person who's in first and the person who's in second, where the person who's in first has to work as hard or even harder as the person who's in second. Well, uh, it, it goes back to that old commercial that Hertz uh, Rent-A-Car used to have. You know, uh, you know, we're, we're number two, we try harder. Well, the thing is, if you're number one and you become complacent, and number two decides, well, I, I'm going to just keep on working hard, harder and harder and harder, mm-hmm. they will surpass you. So the, the whole idea is, if you want to stay number one, you have to work, you know, just as hard, if, if, in fact, harder than the number two mm-hmm. to stay where you are. And that's that's a very important, you know, tenant in business that I used to coach AAA hockey for six years and I've coached some talented kids, some of them who played in the NHLs. But the thing that I saw was as soon as, irrespective of age, you got to a point where, oh, I've got it made, you're screwed. So the idea is once you've reached a certain level, you want to continue uh, forging ahead. So the, the idea is, well, how do you do that? Well, you know what? You, you train harder. Uh, you, you pick up new techniques. Uh, you outwork the people around you. And that's the exact same thing in business. I mean, people like Sidney Crosby are talented. 
but they also outwork all the other guys. I mean, my son, when he was captain at Oshawa, they brought in a, a, a young kid uh, to live with him uh, named uh, John Tavares. And we used to go to dinner at least once or twice, you know, a week. And the thing about John was he worked his butt off. Um, I, I remember he would, uh, if my son was out, he'd go in my son's uh, bed and, and sit there till Pete would come in because he had, you know, he was taking, you know, math 10 and he had to factor this quadratic. And he'd go, Pete, you know, sit down with me and, and help me through it. And my son would go, John, you're going to be making millions of dollars in a few years. Like, <laughs> and he'd go, no, 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 I, this is important. I've got a test coming up. I have to do well. So here's an individual who, you know, he has a sound work ethic. And that's why he's so successful. He outworks other individuals. And I look at it. Uh, my son said the the most talented player he's played against, and it was uh, against Phil Kessel. They were in Belarus. Oh, awesome. And he said, Phil Kessel is the most talented player he's ever seen. Could you imagine how good, and he's great, could you imagine how good he would be if he did have a work ethic? And mm-hmm. and that's the thing, that most individuals don't have this supreme talent, mm-hmm. but they can make up for it by working hard to hone their skill set. And it's yeah. the same thing in business. You know, again, if you think you've got it made and you become complacent, then others will basically eclipse you and you'll fall further and further behind. So the idea is if you want to be successful, you have to stay cutting edge. And the way you do that is by keeping up with everything that's going on, always being open to new ideas. Again, just working your butt off. That's what it really, really comes down to in terms of business success. You know, are there some people that, you know, possibly could fluke it? Y- yes, but you're playing the percentages. Uh, and that's the way it is in life. And, and the people that have a good education and twin it with the sound work ethic have a much, much higher chance of success in life and happiness than the individuals that, that do not. So that's what it really comes down to for any type of success. Um, do you think number number one is actually thankful that there's a number two working hard, nipping at the buds, trying to take his spot in a way? I, if number one wants to continue improving, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Uh, if, uh, number one just says, Hey, I'm, I'm number one and I'm, and I'm, and I, I, I'm comfortable with what I have, then someone nipping at your heels isn't a great feeling. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, we're in the education industry and we want to do, uh, as great a job as we can. So if there are things that we can adopt, adapt, uh, you know, new things that are on the horizon, we want to be able to sort of, you know, bring these things in and make them part of the way we we teach, the way we educate, the way we sort of, you know, help students acquire skill sets. And yes, the you know, it, it's great to have, you know, what is so-and-so doing? If it's helping them and they're doing it well, then you know what? You know, adapt those. You might tweak them for the way you do things, but for the most part, obviously you want to continually grow and make whatever product you have better and better and better. I mean, hopefully that's why, you know, you are in business, not not just to sort of, you know, go, oh, I'm making more money. But the whole idea is that you are providing a product or a service that you can be proud of. You want to constantly strive to be the best. All right. Well, to end every episode, I uh, have my guest ask the next guest a question. So your question comes from the Bab Sox guys. Who was your favorite Ninja Turtle? I I would probably say... I know my son's was uh, Leonardo. Of course. Uh, I would probably say Michelangelo. Really? Yeah. And do you have a question for the next guest? Question for the next guest. What century 
Will the Leafs win their next Stanley Cup? Hopefully this one. Um, Hopefully not. But it- All right. Well, thank you, Steve, for being on the podcast. Uh, Evan, it's great seeing you grow into the fine young man that you are and knowing that we had, you know, a, a small, you know, bit to, to do with that. So thank you so much. Big thanks again to Steve for being on the podcast this week. He was fantastic. He always is. I love catching up with him. I really hope you all learned something from this episode. Steve is a fantastic business teacher. Now, last week we had a giveaway. I was really excited by the number of entrants we had, but unfortunately we can only have one winner. After I entered everyone's names into random.org and let the RNG gods decide, it is none other than Randall Chewy of Mississauga. You are the winner of the Bab Socks giveaway from last week. Congratulations, you're getting a home and away pack, two pairs, and I hope you wear them proudly. Thanks to everyone for listening. Remember to rate and subscribe, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.